Well, God is good. If you're ready for some word, get your Bibles out or your Bible apps out on your phone and go to the book of Psalm, Psalms and the second chapter, Psalm 2. Praise God. The Lord is good. Let's get into this. I just want to start by reading, reading the passage. I have several things to share with you and read to you today. I, you could probably just camp out in Psalm chapter 2, though, if you'd like to, to be there. That's the only one I have planned to not put on the screen for, you know, laziness. <laughs> uh, Psalm chapter 2, uh, let's begin in verse 1. It reads, Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now, we'll just stop right there for now. yeah, we understand that although this speaks of Jesus, this is a prophetic utterance that speaks of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, we also know from Scripture that the people of God, believers, are also God's anointed. Do you know that's the case? If you're, if you're saved, you would be accurate in describing yourself as being anointed of God. Okay, His Spirit is upon you that sets you apart, that empowers you to stand and enables you to be what you're called to be, to represent Him well, to live strong, live long. You are a representative of the Lord. In fact, really anyone that God places in a, in a position that, that He designs to carry out a certain work, they could be referred to as God's anointed. Okay, Uh, he doesn't call people to do something without his help. He doesn't ask people to carry out a task or fulfill a role or hold an office or be in a place without his divine approval and blessing and assistance in that work. And so uh, we know that we are God's anointed. Yeah. Now, if you're a new believer, or if you're not a believer yet, if you're just uh, you're here checking things out, we understand that we were all where you are, and you might be God's anointed by the time you leave here today. Amen. All right, so I don't even know what that means. Well, sometimes you'll experience it before you fully understand it, but you'll get enough of it to you know you'll learn how to start the car without learning how to how the engine works. Learn that later, right? And. Uh, Uh, There is a battle uh, today against the Lord. Um, It's happening in the earth. Now, we have to, let me clarify what I mean by a battle against the Lord. You understand that when uh, people may be inspired demonically, but when they battle against the Lord, you may say, well, they don't have a chance against the Lord. It's not a direct assault to God himself like they're going to march up to his throne and take him on, right? They battle against the Lord by battling his people. Isn't that right? 
I mean, how is Satan going to fight against God? What a loser. Well, he's going to do it by trying to convince us that he can that he can win against us, and because we are the apple of his eye, if you, you know, that is an attack against the Lord. You might recall uh, the testimony of one called Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul the Apostle, and, and, and he uh, had his experience with the Lord on the way to Damascus one day when the Lord stopped them, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, you, if you think, think about that, you might wonder, well, when did Paul persecute Jesus? Okay, well, his persecution of Jesus was exhibited by persecuting the Lord's people. Yeah, when he was putting Christians to death, when he was standing there approving of Stephen's stoning, the Lord was taking that personally. All right. Likewise, that is for you, by the way. This is, this is good news for you. Someone attacks you for your, your stand, your belief in the Lord, your re- relationship with God, your stand of righteousness. Jesus takes it personally. Yeah? And so this is happening in the world today. This is interesting, though, uh, how this is described. How rulers, nations how those who plot against the Lord, how they describe uh, God, they describe his ways. In verse three, it says, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. And so I think that's quite interesting that the same God, the same words, the same ways of the Lord that so many of us would describe as being freedom, as being liberty, as hallelujah, healing, answers, help. I mean, his presence, his ways are wonderful. His ways are holy and pure and true, and we love them, and they are liberating, they are freeing. Yet some are speaking of those same things, and what do they call them? Bonds, cords. There's what I call freedom, they say is bondage. What do I say, this set me free, they say this is a cord around my neck. And they're saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And so God's righteous ways are described as being bonds and cords. They they are described as bondage. How many know when you live according to the flesh, the desires of the flesh, any restriction placed on you is viewed as a negative. And God's saying, this is my way, walk in it. Oh, no, that's bondage. (laughs) I don't want that. I I don't want that bondage in my life. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not bondage. Oh, yeah, it is. Well, if you want to walk in certain ways of life, in certain really sinfulness, in certain fleshly, ungodly ways, the ways of God are not to be desired. And that's never going to change When someone wants what God does not want, they want the opposite of him. What he wants for them is going to be viewed negatively. Amen. 
And we can know we're on the wrong path if we're ever interpreting the will of God as being a negative. If we're ever saying, I don't want to do what the Lord wants me to do because then I'll miss out on this and I'll lack over here and I won't be satisfied or fulfilled. Stop, stop. You are thinking wrong. That is a deceptive thought. The ways of the Lord are liberating and they are freeing. And the devil will lie to people day and night to try to get them to depart from God's ways of right living and right thinking to get them involved in bondage to, to where eventually they are referring to the most glorious blessings of God as being bondage. I want to get free from that bondage. What? What? You want to get free from the Lord? When Christians proclaim standards of holy living, it brings conviction to the ungodly lifestyle. And it's supposed to. It really is. And some of us think, well, I don't want people to react negatively to me. No one does, but some will. No one does want that. But some will react negatively. And sometimes it moves them to fight back, to attack the people of God. That's just the way it is. I wish it weren't that way. I know me too, but it is. There was, there was a guy named John. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus. And uh, John was a preacher of righteousness. His message was preparing the way, of the, the way for Jesus to come and bring his message. And uh, so he was calling people to repentance. And I don't know, I mean, you're probably not the most popular preacher when your message is, repent. <laughs> Can you tell us something positive? <laughs> John, you're not very uplifting. Uh, but that was his message, and so he would call things out. And what happened was uh, Herod, John had become well-known for his message. And Herod, um, it says in, in, in Matthew 14, verse 3, for Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Herod had a brother, brother was married to Herodias, John's in jail because of her. Why? Well, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. <laughs> and although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So John's in jail for doing the will of God, for telling it straight, for preaching things the way they really are, and for calling out a very powerful person and saying, you're not supposed to have your brother's wife, dude. And that made, him, that made Herod so upset, he put him in prison. Eventually, they took off his head, right? But John's in prison <laughs> because he told Herod, what you're doing is sinful. What you're doing is wrong. Now, seriously, Herod, like... You're kind of in charge. Why don't you be a little more secure? Why don't you just say, well, who cares what John thinks? But it bugged him. It bugged him. Why, why did it bug him? Because he knew people have an innate, in, inward knowledge that they are violating God's ways and his standard of righteousness. And when someone says it out loud, it irks them. 
Now, if they're not a person of power, they might just, you know, not be able to do much. But those who are in authority, they, they'll do people harm. They'll do damage. And John was suffering as a result of calling him out. Should John have kept silent? Would that have been better? Many probably would have recommended that to him. John, you're going to get in trouble. You better, you better leave Herod alone. You better stop calling him out on this. Just pray for him. Just, <laughs> just silently pray for Herod, but stop saying anything about he and Herodias. They got this thing. Well, he shouldn't have kept silent. That's what the devil wanted him to do. That's what he wants us to do. Don't ever say anything. Don't ever speak up. Don't ever actually vocalize truth. Just keep quiet. Keep your opinions to yourself. Maybe you can pray for people. But just be positive. Don't ever say anything about what's wrong. And many are intimidated by that because I don't want to go to jail, right? I don't want to, uh, uh, I don't want to suffer the, the wrath of someone who might have authority or power in this earth. But this is what happened to John, and we're seeing this in our world today. It comes through intimidation of violence. We're seeing this in our country. You better conform. You better adapt my way of thinking, or we're going to burn this down and tear this down. And, and there are threats of violence to get people to shut up if they disagree. There are threats. One of the things they do nowadays is called cancellation. And they cancel people, and we're going to basically attack your business, your livelihood, your, your way of making a living. And if you dare to speak up, if you dare to say anything that goes contrary to certain opinions, then this is how they're presently attacking today. Some will make it, some will guilt trip, and they'll mask shame and <laughs> everything, everything else to try to put people down who don't uh, agree with their particular line of thinking. You know, I, I don't even like it. If I can just tell you straight, we just us here, right, uh, in the world. And, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not real thrilled about, uh, about people talking about how businesses are being shut down because of the virus because I don't believe that's the case. They're not shut down because of that virus. They're shut down because of government regulation. That's what's happening. I'm not, even a, I'm not even a big fan of people calling for another federal subsidy. Can I just say this? This isn't in my notes. It's just out of the abundance of the heart. I can't help it. <laughs> because I think they should get a local one if their government killed their business. I know the government shut everything down there back in the spring for a little bit, and then they did give, a, give help because they're the ones who crippled the businesses. But now who's doing it? Okay, let me get back to this. That's just... <laughs> I'm talking about not being intimidated. I'm not talking about uh, not being, we don't want our voice silenced. You don't want your voice to be silenced. Uh, 
I'm not just talking about like as in our country, as American citizens, I believe that, but my primary message is the gospel. As if you're a believer, the kingdom of God needs the people of God to, spite, to speak, to live loud, okay, to, to, to make his ways known. And the enemy wants to silence us. Uh, Romans chapter 1 speaks about a bunch of, uh, about people who are kicking, pushing back against the ways of God. It says a lot of things. Uh, one of them is this. Romans 1.32 reads, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, so they know this, they know God's ways, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so if we seek the approval of man, they won't be pleased until we embrace their ungodly ways. We cannot live for man's approval. Amen. Sometimes uh, people are duped into believing that compromise with the ungodly will win them over. Well, they will approve of your ungodliness when you join in with them, but they'll never respect your God if you're just like them. And so we think, we're, we think we win them by being less godly, less strict with our own conduct. But no, we water down our message till they have no respect. Our beliefs ought to make the world feel uncomfortable for not following them. It ought to. If we are, if, if, if we are 90% sharing their lifestyle and their values, then there's nothing really inspiring about us. What's to desire? Why change? If, if I'm changing, if I'm changing to, so my life is just like their life, what's different about us? And so us holding the line and standing strong and endeavoring with everything we, every, you know, amount of faith and ability and conviction we have to be who God has called us to be is what he wants out of us. I don't mean we've got it mastered and we've got it perfected and we, we are just flawless human beings. No, but we have conviction that says, this is my standard. This is the way I'm going to be. This is the way I want to be. If I fail, I repent and get back there. But I'm not going to compromise my convictions because someone else does not approve. Why would anyone want our Jesus if we are just like them? We are supposed to be different. Amen. It's kind of like, is it, it's okay. I hope I'm being sweet and everything. <laughs> it, but it's like the, you know, pastors have had these conversations with, with people. Um, but it's like the, the Christian couple who, who lives, the, the unmarried Christian couple who lives like the world, they conduct themselves outside of God's plan, and then they come and ask a pastor to marry them. Come on. <laughs> say, what, what about that? Well, here's what we say. Uh, we say, listen, if you're going to live the way the world does, then you should just go to the courthouse. Why are you trying to have a Christian marriage if you don't value any of the Christian principles about how God says couples are to conduct themselves outside of a marriage relationship? 
you're going to do it just like the world, then continue on. That's your right. You have that that ability in this land to live however you want. But if you're going to call yourself a Christian, and if you're going to seek a Christian marriage with covenants and blessings and proclamations of, of of God joining you together, then, then, then adhere to his ways of righteousness in your, in your single life. Everybody okay? Our lives are supposed to bring conviction to the lost. And I know that some, when, we, when it does that, some will fight back, but others will change. Others will see something and respect and, and value it and say, Yes, I know that's right. I know that's true. I, I, this is what, what I really want to be. This is kind of the principle. Uh, it's, it's revival or riot. It's kind of the way I want things to be. I'd rather people either get so fired up for the Lord and serve him all their days or get ticked off and run away. I just don't want anyone falling asleep in the middle. Like there's nothing potent enough. There's nothing convicting enough. I can just stay the way I am and wear the t-shirt. I don't want to be, I don't think the Lord had that in mind. Where we would be so bland, so medium gray, so indistinguishable from our past life and from the ways of the world. I think there's a dividing line that's supposed to say, no, this is who we are now. Amen. I think I've shared this with you before, but I've been in certain nations, and it's interesting when, uh, when people get saved in certain cultures, when they give their lives to Jesus, they rename their businesses. <laughs> and I'm not saying this is a great marketing plan. I'm not telling you to do this. But if they had like, you know, Steve's auto body, then it now becomes Jesus' auto body. Something like that. They would put Jesus or the name of the Lord somehow in their business name. And I thought, again, I don't know. I mean, their own cultures determine whether that's an effective strategy for business. But I appreciate it from one standpoint. Like, you're all in, aren't you? You just gave your life to the Lord, and you're not hiding it. You're not keeping it a secret. In fact, you're letting everybody know, I'm a Christian now. It's on my door. It's on my building. It's on my business card. You know, and... In our culture, if someone has a little fish on their business card or something, I'm thinking, I'm about to get hooked. <laughs> Maybe untrustworthy and are trying to manipulate me, I don't know. <laughs> ne- 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 nevertheless, uh, I appreciate those who, who say I'm a, I'm a believer now and they're not, a, they're, they're not only not afraid of people knowing, they want people to know. Maybe they want people to know you can be like me too or I can I'm here to pray for you if you have need. They want people to know I belong to the Lord. Do we want people to know? Or would we rather not? Amen. Now, I know as a pastor, I don't wear that on my sleeve. If I go somewhere, I don't want everyone to know I'm necessarily a pastor. <laughs> but do I want my lifestyle to say that I'm a Christian? Yeah. That's what, that, that's what, that's what I want. Amen. Two verses in Acts reveal this truth. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. It it says, And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Notice they heard the word. What happened then? They were cut to the heart and they said, 
What should we do? And listen to this other one, Acts 7, verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed at him with their teeth. And that's Stephen who got stoned. So two groups of people, they both heard the word. It both carried power and conviction. It carried weight. They said, ah, ah. And some said, what should we do? And the other said, we're going to kill you. This is, the prop, this is the proper, this is the response to the gospel. This is the way God wants it to be. If someone's saying, I'm angry right now, well, what are you going to do with that? And the right response is to humble ourselves. The right response is to say, what should I do? What do I need to do? I need to get right with God. But we do know that not everyone responds in the proper way. Jesus kind of explained this in another way. When he was, he was quoting about himself an Old Testament prophecy about him being um, the stone that the builders rejected. Okay, the builders were the were Israel, the Jews. He said, I'm the, I am the stone that the builders rejected. He went on to, to talk about that. It's Matthew 21, 44. He said, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. What, 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 do, what do we want? Well, the idea is that we want to be broken, meaning we humble ourselves, meaning we yield to him. But we all have a choice. Everyone has a choice. The stone comes and kaboom. We either say, what should I do? What do I need to do to be saved? What should I? Or we re resist and now, ouch. It's, the, it's this, this grinding of powder. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as has a contrite spirit. Does the Lord save everybody? He wants to, but when someone resists him, his grace actually turns out to, 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 to serve as a negative in their life. It's kind of like Pharaoh of the Old Testament. Uh, Pharaoh of the Old Testament, when Moses came in to you know, let my people go, came with the message of God, and, and, and it would say again and again and again that his heart was hardened. He hardened his heart. It's kind of like, like you take clay and, and you take uh, some clay, and, and you put it um, in, let me, is clay the best example? It can be. Uh, but anyway, you take clay and you bake it under the sun, it's going to get hard, right? You take butter and put it under the sun, and it's going to melt, yeah? Same sun, different response depending on the condition of your heart. Where do we want to be? See, God's grace is his grace. It is wonderful. His love, his power, his power, his righteous ways, they are what they are. What kind of effect do they have upon our lives? And we ought to be among those who melt, right? Not those who harden, like the Pharaoh of old. Amen. So the question here in regards to this passage is, do we, do we remove the stone because it will grind some to powder? The stone is Jesus. Do we remove him? Do we turn off the light because it dispels the darkness in some people's lives? Do we stay silent because truth is inconvenient? God will not force his ways of righteousness, of blessing, 
of healing, of love and forgiveness and joy and peace on anybody. He won't make your life be amazing. He won't force it upon you. Amen. People are free to be ground to powder if they so choose. This is the ways of God. We, I just want us to understand how God works. And he is not what he is portrayed to be. Anyone who comes to him, he will, they, he will not cast out. He will not cast away. But when people harden and demand their own way and try to silence everyone who speaks for the Lord, uh, we have to understand that God is not weak need. He's not bending as a result of that. Isaiah prophesied, and he said in chapter 5 and verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We want to stay with God's righteous ways. Let's continue and say, Lord, how do you view this? How do you see what's happening in our country? How do, you vision, how do you see what's happening in my life? What is your perspective? And his perspective is his word. So this is not just some mystery that we can never figure out. But we always want to be on his side. And we want to see things the way he says they really are. And so we seek him to that end, lest we're, we find ourselves calling righteousness unrighteousness and light darkness. We don't want to be wrong about these, these matters. Amen. I know uh, just a matter of weeks ago, a month ago, in praying about our country and, uh, and this, all the corruption that is taking place, we were having a prayer meeting right in here. Uh, I was, and, and I was led, right before that, I was led to read Psalm chapter 2. We're not finished. We're going to read the rest of that here. Uh, uh, read to read Psalm chapter 2. And I was even given a prophecy in one of these pr Friday prayer meetings about how we would see the work of God in our country. You know, in the middle of all the chaos and confusion and what's right and what's true and what's corrupt and, and what's not. And, and, and how we would see God work. I believe that we will. Psalm 2, verse 4. Did you stay there? Verse 4. So this is after. They're saying, let us free from God. He's bondage. <laughs> His ways are bondage. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord will hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. I want you to know concerning uh, the trouble that we deal with in life, God is not concerned. <laughs> what do I mean by that? He is, he's not worried about it. Uh, can I tell you, concerning what's happening e even in our land, uh, God is not losing any sleep over the election. <laughs> I know he doesn't sleep. Okay, you know. He is not, uh, he is not, in anxiety over the virus, uh, nor is he fretting over any attack against the church. He just is not. And I know in some states they're having a really difficult time getting together. 
And the Lord is not saying, oh, I didn't see this coming. What are we going to do? But what does he do when people speak against? And they say, well, he's not speaking. they're not speaking against God. They're just speaking. No, they're speaking against the Lord. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What is the Lord doing? I know it's not the, the picture that most people envision of God. And they see, he's laughing. <laughs> he's like, whatever. <laughs> he is laughing. And when I see that, I'm thinking, maybe I ought to learn from him. Maybe I ought to learn some things from the Lord. And when I get a negative report, when I hear of people doing wrong things and all this stuff, and I'm like, ah, what are we going to do? Well, the Lord's laughing. Maybe I ought to get in faith too and say, <laughs> whatever. Like your power even measures even close to what God has and who he is, and he's in me. And, you know, you know, many times people are praying. I mean, I don't question anyone's motive in this at all, but people come and they say, Pastor, I'm going in for this test. Would you pray for me that I'll have a good report? Well, how about we learn to, let me just give you another suggestion. How about we learn to laugh at bad reports? Because what happens is people tie their faith to their report. And if the report isn't perfect, then, ah, God didn't come through. Stop, stop. The report is irrelevant. I believe the report of the Lord. Okay, and we can exercise faith in God no matter what we see or feel or what any kind of report is. Amen. If you watch the news and your emotions are all over the place, go back to this and say, ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Amen. Your beliefs will affect your emotions. And if I believe certain things, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be down. I'm, I'm going to be saddened. But if I believe in the mighty power of this resurrection, resurrected Christ who lives in me and that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, how he dwells in me, then no matter what comes my way, what comes against me personally, no matter what's happening in our land, I can laugh. Say, ha, ha, ha. Say, what if I don't feel like it? That's why we do it. If we feel like it, you laugh without trying. But when you believe, say, you determine and say, no, I believe God. I believe that he is on the throne, that his will is coming to pass. I have prayed and I have sought his face and I've inquired of him and I believe that the Lord is working. I believe he's working in my life. He's working in my family. He's working in my country. He's working in the world today and his will will ultimately come to pass and his ways will be accomplished. So whatever the enemy has to say, whatever any naysayer has to say, ha, ha, ha. I'm not falling for it. I'm not biting. I'm going to believe the will of God, the word of the Lord, and stay on the victory side. Hallelujah. And so, <laughs> amen. And so let's learn to laugh. I halfway quoted, but Isaiah 53, verse 1 says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, can we answer that real quick? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To the one who believes the report. Those who believe the report get to see the power. 
Praise God. And so it's a choice we make. We govern our emotions. We govern our outlook in life. We govern our, our, our motivation to stand. Our motivation to stand and be strong and never back down because we believe what the Lord has said. Amen. Hallelujah. I got more to say. I'm going to come back next week and say it some more. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working in us now.